Welcome to the four thoughts of our founders, the podcast of the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. We are practitioners, scholars, administrators, and researchers, and most importantly, zealots of this sacred space. We've got some really special guests today. One is no stranger to the podcast. The other is his first time, uh, but we're not going to belabor the point. We've got some really good stuff to talk about. We're talking about leading through a crisis, a global crisis, pandemic that is. Won't belabor the point. Let's get at it. I'm Herman Felton, one of the founders of the Higher Education Leadership Foundation flying. Uh, my co-pilot today is none other than Greg Dees. What up, Greg? Um, and we've got some special guests here today and uh, really excited about it. But we're going to talk about the coronavirus. Uh, it is um, crippling our nation, not just our nation, but the globe. And I could not think of uh, two um salient voices that um, should be on this uh, more than Roderick Smothers, president of Philander Smith, and uh, the incomparable uh, Dr. Rosalind Clark Artis, who's the president of Benedict College. What up, everybody? How y'all doing this morning? Hey, hey, what's going on, Herman? Not much. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Rosalind is uh, no stranger to the podcast, and while Roderick isn't either, he's been really busy running for stuff, and we haven't had the opportunity, <laughs> you know, to capture his attention, but um, he made a little time for us today, so uh, we're happy to have him. Thank you, Rod, for, for being here today. I'd like for each of you to just give uh, maybe a, an opening uh, one minute uh, to to let some of the folk know who you are. Um, if you would, Roz, if you just a brief introduction. Um, we know sure. everyone knows who you are, particularly after your Breakfast Club interview a couple weeks ago. But uh, uh, just for the few folks that were in the corner running from Corona, uh, we'd like to uh, introduce Rosalind Clark Artist to them. Accompanied by my stand-up comedian friend, Herman Selkin. Thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, Rosalind Clark Artist, uh, 14th President of Benedict College in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, in my third year as President of that uh, distinguished and esteemed institution where we perpetuate the best of DC each and every day. Thank you, Roz. Uh, Dr. Smothers. Hey, good, good morning, uh, Herman and Roz. It's always good to be in your company, even, even if it's over the waves. Um, I am Roderick Smothers. I am the 14th president of Philander Smith College. I am in my sixth year as president here, and uh, it's been six great years. Uh, we are uh, in the fifth year of a 10-year long-range plan with a overarching theme of moving Philander forward. And so we're just excited that uh, in those uh, five years that we have been able to accomplish some significant things, uh, that we hope will ultimately lead us back to the top, uh, among the top HBCUs in the country. And so I'm just happy to be here this morning and uh, looking forward to this dialogue. We're happy to have you. Um, as I said uh, earlier, we are going to talk about how we have led uh, during this crisis. But first, I want to give a little context um, about what, uh, what, what we're talking about. The coronaviruses are 
a large group of viruses that are common among animals, and in rare cases, they are what scientists call uh, zoonotic, meaning they can be transmitted from animals to humans, according to the CDC. Now, the coronavirus symptoms uh, can make people sick, usually with a mild to moderate upper respiratory tract illness, uh, similar to a common cold, but this virus includes uh, a runny nose, sore throat, possibly a headache, and maybe a fever, which can last over a couple of days. How does it spread? This virus uh, can spread from human contact with animals. Scientists with MERS started uh, in, in camels, the Middle Eastern uh, respiratory um, strain. It started in camels, according, uh, camels, according to the WHO. Uh, the World Health Organization. And with SARS, uh, the scientists suspected uh, CBIT cats were to blame. Officials aren't particularly um, positive where the current outbreak comes, but there's been large um, speculation that it has uh, been um, produced uh, or derived from bats. Um, if you're able to reduce, uh, well, there, there currently there is no vaccine to protect against uh, this family of viruses, at least not yet. We know that trials are underway, um, and the National Institute of Health is working on a vaccine. They believe that the anti-malaria um, drug uh, will help precipitate and maybe even calm some of uh, the issues. Those that is the context which this global pandemic uh, is um, really uh, crippling uh, the globe. Um, so we as HBCU administrators uh, were not uh, oblivious to what was going on. And so today we're going to talk about how things happen from the minute it caught our attention, really caught our attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the minute that um, we uh, actually found ourselves in a in a decent space where we're able to really think about the path forward. So I, I want to talk uh, first, and Roz, I'll throw this ball at you. Let's talk about the moment that you realized that this was going to hit home uh, on your campus in a way like never before. Thank you. Um we were receiving, I was receiving um, briefings on a relatively regular basis from my chief of staff. Um, I often um, brag about her. She's really my right arm and um, is a Katrina survivor. Mm. And so she leads our emergency response team. Uh, so anytime there is an emergency developing, whether it is a weather-related weather emergency or something of this magnitude, she generally is the first person that begins uh, briefing the team and, of course, leads the emergency response team. And so I will be quite candid and tell you that when she initially expressed some concerns that we were seeing, you know, cases in Washington State, et cetera, um, I was not initially alarmed. Um, I, you know, Washington seems quite a distance away from us, and it seems <laughs> way over there. in my mind, way over there <laughs> in the West. Um, but it's, you know, um, sometimes we think about things as being beyond our imagination. Right? None of us have lived through a global pandemic. And so the notion um, that something could spread and be especially deadly um, is foreign. Um, but she is nothing if not persistent mm -hmm. and so continues to brief me on the issue. And as it became clear that it was moving, uh, we, our emergency response team activated and we began developing plans. So um, I will concede that I was um, 
a day or two late to the party initially just because I, like many Americans, was in um, sort of denial about the extent of the emergency. How about you, Rod? Well, you know, <clears throat> Rod is, you know, um, sharing somewhat echoes, you know, how I felt uh, when I was initially um, briefed on what was going on, Herman. I, I will tell you, um, we're not as sophisticated as the folks over at Benedict and Wiley, so we don't have any emergency <laughs> response teams. <laughs> so um, I did not have I did not have that uh, upon which to lean at the moment. We have one now, uh, and you know I've I've created one, and that's my executive cabinet. But we didn't have that. Uh, I I will say to you that I am fortunate, however, to be a part of uh, a uh, citywide group that is led by our mayor, and the mayor and I are good friends. And so whenever there are issues coming down the the, the pipeline that could have an impact on the city or on our institutions, we typically get updates. And so that is where I first learned that there could potentially be a problem. And so in kind of, you know, tuning into my various social media channels, I saw where, you know, it was uh, having different uh, effects in different areas of, of the country. But what uh, really, I guess, alarmed me first was when um, speaking to some relatives, as you know, I'm from Louisiana. Yeah. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we had that big celebration in Louisiana that we call Mardi Gras. <laughs> and I was reading something uh, where it was saying because of the massive number of people who showed up, um, that there were some cases even being reported then, and that it would, there were some predictions that this was going to have huge, huge impact uh, in, in the country. And there were rumors about shutting schools down, mm -hmm. public schools. And I just began to think, how will this impact our institution? And so then fast forward a couple of days, as you both know, we were planning for the HBCU fair in Nassau, uh, Bahamas. Yeah. And I began to get uh, calls and messages from different folks about what we were going to do with respect to that fair. And, and literally, as you both know, up until the week before, we were good to go. I was so uh, disappointed. Because we did, not think, we did not think that this was going to end up this way. And uh, sure enough, after so many concerns, we made the decision to cancel that HBCU fair. And it is almost like a domino effect from there. The, you know, we sent that notice out one day and then the next day and the next day, you know, we began to see our local government shutting down the public schools. Yeah. And so at Philander Smith College, I called my cabinet together and I said, hey, look, y'all, uh, what are we going to do about this? Let's begin to think you know, futuristically here about how this could impact us. That, and that's, it, it that, just started happening so fast. That's a, uh, and so that's a great segue. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's a great segue to the next question that I have for you both. Um, first, I want to say uh, unequivocally that I was disappointed that we were not going to the Bahamas. That's number one. Um, <laughs> And notice you didn't get any calls from either of us because we were, <laughs> we, we, we were, were ready to roll. We were ready to roll. We were not. In fact, in fact, Roz, I remember, I think I still have the text message. I'm going to have to use this against Herman later. But I remember getting a text from Herman. He said, I'm still going. I don't care what y'all do. So, <laughs> I was. But COVID-19 quickly changed his mind. See, I think, it, uh, it, it was it was all y'all chickening out. That's what it was. It wasn't COVID-19. <laughs> 
No, actually, it was us being uninvited. That's right. That, that that's right. No that, that's right. You that's may right. recall uh, the gracious letter that said, we have no cases here, and we're going to keep it that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Basically, y'all, y'all keep that stuff over there. So, but, but, but <laughs> the question, Rod, is what was your thought process as a leader, and, and for you as well, uh, Rosalind, what what was your thought process as you saw this growing to be something that needed your full attention? What was your thought process just quickly before you even went to the cabinet? What 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 made you um, realize that it was time? Besides the obvious, were, were there any um, epiphanies that you had that made you say, "Okay, it's time to get the cabinet together and and go into um, into uh, crisis mode." Well, I would say for me, Herman, I, I've always been what I call a begin with the end in mind thinker and planner. Uh, and so when I started seeing the various alerts that were impacting our public schools, um, obviously, I immediately began to think about my employees who had children in the public schools. And um, and then secondly, and obviously, these are both equal in, in importance, obviously, were my students and ultimately how this would, would impact them. We were preparing to go on spring break. So the following, the week after most of the colleges and universities were announcing that they were going to be making some shifts. Um, and so we had to make some very tough decisions. And so when I brought my cabinet together, it was with all of those things in mind. Um, how, how bad do we think this is going to be? Um, how are we going to deal with the immediate impact uh, affecting our employees? Uh, and more importantly, how are we going to keep our students safe? And as you know, I mean, ultimately, we realized that there was no way that we could protect our students from COVID-19. But mm-hmm. that was my thinking when I initially pulled my cabinet together. And I will admit, I mean, I posted about this. It was it was a bit unsettling for me, frightening almost, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of be uh, almost <clears throat> rendered helpless to some extent because it was, a, it was something with which we had never dealt and um, there were no no weapons, no solutions, no strategies to really deal with it right. that were within our control. And I think that was the most frightening part. That's where I think history will show um, how effective leadership was or wasn't in, in respects to how you respond to these. And, and oftentimes great leaders um, really rise uh, and their leadership is shown when uh, there is a quote unquote fact pattern that you've never dealt with before. Um, sure. Roz? Yeah, I mean, I think you really hit it on the head. Um, I am, when people ask me, you know, what is your leadership style? Um, my response is always informed and decisive. Um, once you gather the facts, make a call. Right? Don't play with it. Make a decision. That's what we get paid to do. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to Roger's point, when public schools began talking about closures, I have two children in the public school system. And so, you know, that began to concern me, particularly in light of the fact that um, early assessments were that children were not in nearly as great a risk. And so the impact on our workforce when schools are called off and those kinds of things obviously raised the level of alarm. Um, but more importantly for me, um, our my workforce is in the age group that is in danger. And so when faced with the, the, the decision to either kind of huddle, hunker down, lock it down, and keep everybody on campus, or to try to get uh, our babies home, um, then I very quickly 
depended on the side of getting our students home because I could not risk the employees who would be forced to stay and care for students should we choose to shelter in place um, and place them at risk. It just did not seem um, like a logical thing to do for me. And so based on an assessment of that information and the direction things we headed, um, when our governor, uh, and I will use the word finally, um, last Sunday, uh, issued a state of emergency and um, closed all of the public colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a significant distinction between public and private when you're talking about a major health emergency. That's right. Um, we'll please be private schools. However, um, please, you know, articulate for me um, how it is safer for private schools to be in session when public schools are not. Um, that was a pretty easy decision for me. Well, so the strategic planning process we're clear rona has our attention we're leaders it is now a a a variety of different facts that are out that we have we have information and now it's time to act i want you to take this question roz what was your planning uh so what what did your planning and slash strategy sessions look like did who who comprised of the team and and how quickly did you guys get together? And then I have one for you to follow up with that, uh, Roger. So uh, once the chief of staff had my full attention and Corona <laughs> reared her ugly head, uh, we assembled our emergency response team, which is comprised of 31 essential employees to include uh, my executive cabinet. Um, in this instance, included IT, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. This discussion around um, online and virtual learning uh, created um, an an urgency to engage our entire uh, IT team. Our facilities team uh, was represented on the campus, largely because of the need to deep clean everything and to move quickly. My transportation team um, joined us uh, in this instance because of the need to move large numbers of students relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Our health center, our nurse and folks in that area HR, because of the implications uh, on our workforce, all came together around the table um, to think about how we would either evacuate or address the needs of students. And as I indicated, the decision to evacuate was made relatively quickly. And so each of those individuals had a significant role to play. Obviously, chief among them are academic teams. Um, And so while obviously the vice president of academic affairs is typically a part of that team, uh, we expanded to include uh, the Associate Assistant Vice President um, because of the need to develop very clear academic protocols um, to ensure that our faculty could offer consistent virtual and online instruction to our students. And Mm -hmm. so um, they were absolutely amazing in terms of the guidance they were able to give our instructional technology team. Um, All were around the table. Fortunately, we have 35 chairs. So the team of 31 (laughs) came together uh, to divide um, to discuss, divide and conquer, and um, enact the plan. Roderick, how um, how how helpful was it to have a group of colleagues um, in, in a in a group chat of all things um, to to bounce things off? Um, you know, men and women presidents, because I I think women lead differently. They lead. Um, uh, just as brilliant, and that different isn't deficient, but they have a level of empathy, I think, 
uh, that most uh, men don't employ. And I'm not suggesting that all don't, but I, I think uh, there's enough anecdotal data out there to suggest uh, and empirical data to suggest that women lead with empathy uh, and it is not um, uh, deficient. How, how beneficial was it to have that group uh, that we share um, to bounce things off while leading through this crisis? Well, it, it was most beneficial. And I, I often say, you know, we've all been talking about this group for years now. We've, we've been a part of it. But um, I, I, I call it our, our quasi or informal president's kitchen cabinet. Because in that group, believe it or not, we, we sort out so many critical decisions, sometimes couched in humor, sometimes not. But it's, uh, it's always a good source for me. And so I think the, the main difference was watching the, the ways that our various presidents handled this. And to your point, we all have different leadership styles. And I, I, have, I said to my cabinet, on the first day that I brought them together, um, remember my cabinet is my emergency response team. I, I don't have the 31 like Roz, uh, but I, I have the 11 on my cabinet. And I said to them that while we, you know, take pride in, in leading uh, the institution from a position of being informed and using our policies and procedures as kind of the order and the rules of the day, that now is the time for us to really lead with compassion and conviction and concern. And I watched that unfold in the group chat with the various presidents. We had some who were attempting to handle this strictly by the rules. And we quickly realized that some of us did not have rules that would apply to these circumstances. And so it led us quickly to being more compassionate and leading, leading with more conviction. Um, so it, for me, it was watching the diversity of thought uh, and, and how our uh, fellow colleagues were handling these situations on their campuses and um, the admission, if you would, that we didn't know, Absolutely. that we were uncertain, that we were unclear, and that that was okay, that we were able to share those vulnerable moments with each other and ultimately help each other to think through share best practices, share what was working, what was not working. Uh, I remember one colleague saying, hey, look, this isn't going over well at my institution, so y'all may want to rethink this. Yeah. You saw all of this going on in a group chat of, you know, 10 presidents, and I'm not sure if every every president has the benefit of that, and so I, I feel blessed to have it. You guys are great. Yeah, Roz, I, for me, it, it was um, it was affirming. You know, I, my cabinet will tell you uh, that I quote – the, the group chat often um, and I cite the group chat often and and it really is a way to make sure that you're what you're thinking it, it's affirming it, it affirms your thoughts and it helps you uh, calibrate or recalibrate in, in times uh, anything you want to add to that Roz? No I, I certainly echo uh, Roz's comments uh, we have very few pairs uh, you speak of these roles um, very often as, you know, rarefied air, and that's true. And it gets slightly thinner um, when you are an HBCU president um, because the resource constraints on these institutions tend to make those decisions so much more critical. Uh, there is zero room for error. Um, it's a narrow, narrow bandwidth within which we operate. And so to have a group of peers who share freely, 
Um, we certainly maintain a sense of humor, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. um, but you can find camaraderie and connections and affirmation when necessary or correction. Right. Loving correction yeah. when you're thinking about something in the inverse. Right. And so um, it's extremely helpful. Yeah. Extremely helpful. How, how did you guys yep. how did you guys broach uh, the, the conversation with the board? Uh, and we're, we're getting into the meat here. But I, what I really want people to understand is that this is not something that while we didn't have a blueprint for it, we do have a blueprint for how we manage crises. And that um, our institutions are led by competent and capable leaders who know how to respond in effective ways. And one of those ways is to first make sure that your board um, knows what's going on on your campus, um, not in a way that it is a micromanagement, but um, you want to be a good communicator. How did your boards uh, respond to um or being put on notice that you were getting ready to move in a way that would be different and change uh, the new norm, the, the normal uh, into a new normal. Well, I know for me, Herman, I, I, my basic mode of operation is, is to uh, over inform my board so that they, you know, uh, there will never be a point where someone will have to call me or text me or email me to ask me information. I, I over communicate with my board. So on a monthly basis, I have a meeting with my board chair. And luckily, uh, my board, my meeting with my board chair occurred the week <clears throat> before these things began to happen. And during that meeting, I was able to talk with her about a range of possibilities. And from from doing the least to doing the most, and, you know, we kind of talked through what those meant for the institution, mm -hmm. what what they meant uh, financially. Uh, most board members are concerned, obviously, about the financial position of the college. And so uh, we, we were able to think through those. And so as we began to uh, deploy our plan, if you would, whenever I updated the community of scholars, I also updated the board. And because the board chair was already aware of the range of possibilities, she was always able to opine and add an affirming word to whatever I sent to the board. So that was the approach that I took. Awesome. Um, we uh, have been very intentional about providing a daily update. So mm -hmm. if you were to go to our website, you'll see a series of communiques where we've communicated with our community of scholars on a daily basis about what's happening next because the circumstances are literally changing by the day yeah, really as our governor is, uh, you know, kind of, you know, one day he's shutting down the school. The next day, you know, like yesterday he announced that he was shutting down all barber salons and, and so forth in the state of Arkansas. And I said, well, we're, we are really getting ready for an uproar in our community now. <laughs> Shut down the barber salons and the nail shops. For several but, different reasons. Uh, <laughs> right. For different reasons. Yeah. But, that's how I communicated with my board, uh, Herman, it, okay. and it has worked very well for me. Cool. Roz? So slightly different. Uh, interestingly, um, my board chair and I uh, do not have a standing meeting, but rather kind of engage one another as necessary as we move forward. Um, but certainly agree in terms of, you know, presidents who survive don't surprise their board members. And so Wait a on minute. Sunday, say, that, say that one more time. Presidents who survive do not surprise Boom. their board members. Okay. That's and for all so, you, you uh, young administrators working your way up and, and even for some uh, of y'all uh, folks sitting in the chair. Yeah. 
give you that one for free, right? <laughs> okay. Um, the I sat down and wrote a relatively uh, thorough narrative, I believe, a relatively thorough narrative to my entire board um, on Sunday afternoon. And last Sunday afternoon, I guess a little more than a week ago. And because what I wanted to um, convey to them is, one, I'm making a decision. So it was slightly less complicated for me. I have found it is better to, um, again, be informed and decisive and then inform the board um, rather than to sort of talk through those things um, with multiple um, board members. And so, one, I wanted to communicate to them, I have made a decision. We are going to evacuate the campus of Benedict College. Um, but more than that, wanted them to understand that that was a thoughtful process, that there was a lot of nuance to that decision. And so penned a really um, a thorough narrative that articulated some of the challenges associated with that. So I didn't simply say, you know, we're going to be closing. I'll keep you updated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be closing. And, you know, that is a very complicated process for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. right? Lack of transportation, homelessness, yes. food insecurity, access to technology, Wi-Fi, those kinds of challenges that we were then dealing with. So they could fully understand and appreciate that, one, this was not a decision made lightly, and two, it was not going to be easy to implement. And um, immediately started getting responses from board members. Um, And those responses really were, what do you need? How can we help you? Mm -hmm. And so that began a chain of events that really, um, I think, is an amazing story. Um, and, and we're going to get into that. And, and this is a beautiful thing. Uh, the beauty of the three of us is that we all took three different approaches. I um, contacted my board chair, who I, I don't have a standing meeting with him, but we text probably once a day. We talk maybe every other day, even if it's mm-hmm. just to call and say, how you doing, young man? He calls. Um, but I mm-hmm. called him and told him, hey, uh, I'm getting ready um to make a decision and I need your support and I want to call the board. Um, I wrote him a communique just as you did, showed him the range of different options that would, um, that I was preparing to take. Um, and I called him for his support, not his permission. I called him for his support. And, uh, immediately after that, our bylaws dictate if we're going to pull the full board together, got to give him seven days, et cetera, et cetera. So we gave him seven days for a teleconference, Um, but after I got off the phone with him, I started calling each of my board members because we sent out the communique, but I wanted to really, uh, count horses or count my votes rather, if you will, just to make sure that I would have support and to deal with, um, any objections to what I was proposing to do before we got into the full board. Cause you all know when you get into that full board and you don't know, um, how folk are thinking that that could be volatile for you. So it, it was it's wonderful to hear how each of us started differently but ended at the same place. And I think this is what people really need to understand about leadership is that it looks, feels, and moves differently. And I think you injure yourself when you try to emulate uh, others uh, in a way that does not incorporate who you are as a leader. Um, so I, I, I think that's really important to uplift you made two really important points that um, to the extent that we're talking to a particular audience uh one count votes like don't skip over that right (laughs) understand the landscape 
your governor's landscape. Um, you have to constantly have a good read on where your support is. And uh, if there is a lack of support, um, know who and where that is so that you can address that mm-hmm. and attempt to, tra- to transition that, uh, I think, is really important. And the last point you made really goes to authenticity. Leadership is contextual. Leadership is situational. Uh, each of these institutions has its own context, its own culture, and we individually are our own, you know, have our own leadership styles. And so the authenticity of that leadership and the ways in which it is displayed, particularly in times of crisis, um, is uniquely your own. And so while we can inform one another and share information, um, we have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Herman. And I, I would just say, you know, in my six years, I'm now on my third board chair. Um, wow. I, the one when I was when I was brought in in 2014-15, that board chair uh, was leaving the board, and so um, then I had another board chair, and then the one I have now is the one I've had for the last two years, and they're all very different, mm-hmm. all right? And so you you have to know how to I always tell young administrators you have to figure out how to manage your boss. Um, I had to figure out how to manage my bosses, and so that is my way of, of you know, knowing whether or not it takes a, a daily call or text, mm-hmm. because my previous board chair, you know, we did communicate more regularly, but our current board chair is the CEO of a foundation. She understands institutional dynamics, I yes. think, a little more, Yes. and so once a month is all she needs, mm-hmm. and, um, you know... <laughs> In anything in between that just uh, on an as needed basis. Absolutely. And so I agree. It's, it's learning and figuring out, you know, as, even as you go along, you have to figure out how to manage your bosses as well. I think they call it managing up. Yep. Um, Absolutely. So, so we've got, we're at this point of, we have action, actionable items. We have strategy. Now it's time to go. Roz, I know you closed your campus completely. Uh, I did as well. And Roderick, I know you have an exception of some sorts. Let's talk about the communicating of that plan to the constituents, both the students who were obviously most important, uh, importantly impacted. Uh, let's talk about how that message was delivered. Did you guys call the campus together? Did you deliver the message? Um, did you um, send out email? How, how did you communicate to uh, your constituents what the new normal was? And we'll start with you, Roz. So on Sunday, um, following, of course, my communique with the board, uh, we authored a message to the campus community that effectively fell in line with the governor's directive. The governor gave a press conference at 4 o'clock that said, public K-12 schools and all higher education institutions, colleges, universities, and community colleges would be closed uh, through April 3rd. And so we uh, reverting, obviously, to online instruction. And so we offered a message and sent that out to our student community on Sunday, the goal being, of course, to give everybody as much of a heads up as possible um, because our plan was to close by Wednesday. We wanted to give as much time. Uh, we'd heard horror stories already of campuses that gave students 12, 18, 24 hours and we knew that for our constituency, that was not going to work. Mm-hmm. And so we followed up on Monday with um, a meeting, literally called together all of the students who were then on campus. We were in the middle of spring break. Uh, we created opted to extend for a week. And so we had probably 400, 350 to 400 students on the campus. And so we gathered against every health protocol. Um, we gathered together in the chapel. 
um, and literally uh, explained to the students what the decision would be. No, we were not able to maintain social distance because I do not have a big chapel like wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, we gathered everyone together and um, explained to the students what we were doing and why we were doing it and then took Q&A. And most of the questions were genuine and serious and um, appropriate. Others, you know, you got a few kids that want to clown a little bit, even in a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we took them all. We addressed uh, as many questions as we could on that day. And really, again, young people always want to know why, right? We don't make decisions and issue edicts and then um, stand above questions, right? And so even for students, we want to create an environment where they're free to ask and inquire and to push. And so we, um, quote, unquote, endured that. Uh, for a couple of hours just to make sure that everyone knew and understood what we were doing. Which, and, which, um, which, which self and selfishly speaking is uncomfortable, right? When you have these, it, it can be, um, at least for me, it was uncomfortable because these kids were asking me questions and I knew that it was, it, it was going to be impactful, but you know, there's there's really nothing you can do. I mean, I didn't tell Rona to come here. You know, Rona Rona landed on us. But I think people need to understand that about leadership as well, or it needs to be illuminated uh, even more in that when there are tough um, issues that face your family, because we all believe that we um, educate families, we graduate families, you know, uh, the kids on our campus are our family, the faculty and staff. I think the leader of the family should be the person delivering that news. And when you do that, you put yourself square in the bullseye. And that's uncomfortable. Well, I think the other, I think the thing that was uncomfortable for me, and I'll, you know, kind of freely concede it here, is that I didn't know the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, typically when I walk into a forum, to address faculty, staff, students, or even the board. I know what I'm talking about, right? I, you know, we're not in these places because we don't know what's going on. That's right. I mean, generally speaking, we are well-informed and are thoughtful about our decision-making. And so typically when I walk in, um, as with the board, it was an effort to share information, to communicate what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, end of story. However, in this instance, Two or three times, I had to pass the mic, which is very uncomfortable <laughs> for me, right? So, uh, you know, somebody said, well, what about my internship hours? How will I get, you know, are my, can I use an agency near my home if I have to go home? And will those hours count? You know, I, I was caught flat-footed a couple of times because this is unprecedented. This mm-hmm. is not something any of us has ever lived through experience, you know, as I communicate with my board. I've had shootings, fires. Storm, right. hurricane—I mean, you name it. I've dealt with any number of crises in my eight years as a college president. Mm-hmm. Nothing of this magnitude, none of us has ever seen in our lifetimes. And so, there were several uncomfortable moments, or when students just implored me, "Are we going to be able to come back on mm-hmm. April third? What is what? What's going to happen with my commencement? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I pride myself on knowing the answers, right? Providing stable leadership in the eye of a storm." But in this instance, I was being tossed about like everybody else. <laughs> what about you, Roger? Yeah, so I'm I'm sitting here listening and uh, writing notes. Actually, you know, I've <laughs> always learned things from Roz. So, um, you know, how do we communicate this, Herman? It, again, it was it was it, we started off with in phases, and we you know 
we attempt to get a good piece out to the community of scholars every day just by way of an update. And so like, unlike you all, we did not make the decision to shut our campus down immediately. Part of that was, I will tell you, uh, we were mixed, uh, we were split on this at my executive cabinet table. And um, we did have some members of the cabinet who thought we should uh, close the campus down immediately. And then we had others who were on the same page with me who thought we didn't. I will tell you that my primary reason for not wanting to do so was because of our students and understanding who our students are, what their situations are. Uh, I play an active role in recruiting our students. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I, and I play an active role in learning their stories. And so I know about who they are in their stories. And so I knew that the moment we did that, that we would get the uh, reasons why I can't go home. Mm -hmm. And there were real reasons for our students. Some students did not have a home to go to, uh, you know, our, for our international students, we've been very intentional around recruiting international students here over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Many of them either could not afford to get back home because they had just gone home for Christmas and paid a couple of thousand dollars for a ticket they didn't have it to do again. Yeah. Uh, many of our, our students were transient students, meaning, you know, hey, look, um, um, they they really were estranged, estranged from their, their parents, family. their family situations, and so Philander was their home. And so I was struggling with whether or not I could deal with having to face the students in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we literally took it day by day. And so as the governor updated the situation, the circumstances in Arkansas, we attempted to do either nothing or a little more each day as he increased uh, his plan to do more in the state, state of Arkansas. Uh, it ultimately, um, it was not until last Wednesday, which was in the middle of our spring break, when the governor updated the the uh, length of time that the public schools would be closed. He moved it from March the 30th through April the 15th. And then because of some background information that, of which I was aware from being a part of those groups, I knew then that it was time to uh, move to a different position. Uh, and so we issued a, a message from the executive cabinet. All of our messages have come directly from the executive cabinet. Mm -hmm. And then through my social media outlets, I have communicated directly with students and faculty and staff as president. But the, the broader messages have all come from my executive cabinet. And so on last Wednesday, we issued the message to our students who were remaining. Because remember, we have 600 residential students. The majority of those students at that time were already on spring break. I see. So we had roughly 200 students who were remaining on campus for various reasons. And mm -hmm. so we issued that message and I will tell you, it was total chaos. Mm -hmm. um, um, the, the, uh, it was, you know, um, students who were away, who were concerned about um, classes, who were concerned about their belongings being left on campus. It was the students who were here, who got to us and articulated those same things that I just mentioned as to, to being my reason why I didn't want to move in that in that direction mm -hmm. um it was us trying to figure out how we could at that time then best protect the students and our message was that you know the college is no longer in a position to defend you from COVID 19. Yeah. you must we must get you home 
to your parents, to your loved ones, where you are safer. And I had a student, Herman, believe it or not, who came to me and said, well, what if we don't have parents or loved ones to go home to or who, to protect us? Mm-hmm. And um, that is what stopped me in my in my tracks. It'll do it. Uh, I was I was afraid of getting that kind of message. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we created an emergency fund like Roz. We had overwhelming responses from our board members, mm-hmm. from our community of scholars. Our United Methodist Foundation, you know, immediately gave us a $50,000 gift to help our students in transition. And so once we put it out there, the community really wrapped itself around us mm-hmm. in a very supportive way. But I will say if I had to mark lessons learned mm-hmm. um, um, in this process, uh, rethink decisions that we made as a cabinet, mm-hmm. I probably should have leaned on the side of those cabinet members who said, no, we need to do this right away. Um, uh, and so I don't know. I, I, I allowed as a leader my compassion and conviction to um, um, take the forefront of, of my decision making. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't know if that was the right thing to do, um, Herman well, was, and, and Roz. And was so right I still thing. struggle with that. It was the right thing for you. Um, me and Roz, right. were, we, we, we were on a different sheet of music. Um, Roz, talk about what 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 uh, what happened over at Benedict. Yeah. Um, so as I shared, you know, I wrote to the board on Sunday, and when they inquired what we needed, we said resources to support these babies. And so uh, the board responded in an unbelievable way. I mean, money just came pouring in. Um, I had one trustee who personally booked forty five plane tickets for students. Mm. I mean, it's just an unbelievable, unprecedented response. And so um, we offered, you know, plane tickets, train tickets, bus tickets. We ran 24-hour shuttle service to Charleston, to Charlotte, to Columbia, and to Augusta airports, as well as the bus stations and train depots. And when I say 24 hours, I mean 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Trains move at 3.30 in the morning, right? So kids are leaving campus at 1.30 to get yeah. to the train station. And yeah. so our folks really, our campus police, um, our transportation teams, our coaches, our athletic coaches were driving kids. To, um, um, to help them, um, you know, boxes, luggage, whatever we could do to help kids pack their things quickly and to move. And so it was really an unprecedented um, effort to get mm-hmm. all of our kids off campus. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to go, so I want to make two points. Um, one, to Rod's um, discussion. We, of course, had a whole bunch of students. So we initially circulated something saying, you know, who can't go home? right, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and that was a pretty big list, right, students immediately defaulted to, I can't go home, mm-hmm. so as we started working that list, I mean, just picking up the phone and calling kids, and if necessary, calling their parents, and saying, tell me what your challenges are, and let me see if we can find a way to help you, and so um, very quickly, we came to understand that a lot of those were preferences, mm-hmm. rather than um, true inability to go home. Mm-hmm. And while we know that we do have students who have unstable home situations, and we know that we have students whose preferences might be to remain in the family and in the community of Benedict rather than perhaps in the family of the community where they came from, what we know is that they're going to go somewhere in May. I mean, in May when, when school closes, they're going to go somewhere. They That's came true. to us from somewhere. And so while we're not um, being callous, um, it is simply not safe or best for you to be on our campus at this time. Mm-hmm. 
time. And we knew that given our facility constraints, mm-hmm. we had no ability to quarantine, for example. That requires individual HEPA filters in student rooms. We're on, you know, HVAC units that heat and cool an entire building. And so you, you had air circulation issues. You had, you know, doubles and quads, not private suites, <laughs> given our construction. And mm-hmm. so we knew we could not properly, safely, and adequately care for students should an outbreak occur. And so really um, insisted that they go home. And home for some was an aunt or uncle. Um, we flew kids internationally, you know, mm-hmm. four or five kids to Colombia, a kid to Turkey, a kid to Hungary. I mean, we were literally buying international plane tickets. Yeah. Um, we had a couple where we couldn't get a kid into their country. Uh, Honduras was not allowing kids to move. Um, some borders were closing on us. And so the decision to move quickly was driven by the modeling that suggested that the spread of Corona was going to result in states and even in countries Closing. not allowing mm-hmm. travel. Mm-hmm. And so we were working against the clock to get those kids out of there before those windows closed. And so what well, I think um, Rod's point um, is really well taken. Mm-hmm. We have to be empathetic. We understand that we serve a vulnerable population mm-hmm. of students, and we have to give that appropriate care and concern. Um, but we also sometimes as leaders have to kind of cut through preference and get to sort of the issue of necessity and safety. And um, I, I certainly agree for many of my students who I believe um, do not have home lives that are conducive to their growth, mm-hmm. right, and their development. And we can't wait to get them back yeah, <laughs> um, and begin that, that restorative process. Like yeah. that's the beauty of an HBCU, what we build, what we provide, what we um, extend to our students, but um, I was concerned about my own inability mm-hmm. to be able to care for them in the event the worst would happen. And, again, and I think that's finally what gave me some right. solace, Roz, was that you know I I told the students I'm just I'm unable to protect you. Yeah. And 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 none of the resources that we have here will will lend to protecting you the way that you need to be protected now. So I need to get you back where you from where you came, and that. That's ultimately what did it for me. That's that's right. um, lesson. So uh, I just want to add this one point because I think it's conducive to kind of our population. Mm-hmm. When we Monday morning quarterback this, and of course we have because we're human, right? We're always assessing the extent to which we did things well and can do things better in the mm-hmm. future. Um, we didn't. We thought we were doing students a solid, right? When our first right. option was to fly them home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what we learned in <laughs> retrospect. Is a whole bunch of our kids have never flown before. They were terrified. They were. Ter- I mean, I had a student sort of make a comment on social. I was forced onto a plane by Benedict. <laughs> um, and I mean, and so Monday. In hindsight, we should have said, "Do you prefer to fly, bus, or train?" Like our students requested a train or requested yeah. a bus. Got that. I mean, that, but I thought I was doing the right thing, right? right? I'm putting everything right, on right. the plane to Atlanta, yeah. right? Um, that's a three-hour ride, yeah. right? Eight hours on the bus. Mm-hmm. But um, and so I thought it inhumane to push students, uh, to put students to buy bus tickets, yeah. right? I thought that seemed like an inhumane um, act in a short period of time. Yep. But in retrospect, as I have now had a time, had time to talk to students, mm-hmm. they were terrified. They didn't know how to check into an airport. Yep. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know how to handle baggage claim. Um, Security, we should have TSA. Preferences. Yeah. We should have had more. But we were working against the clock to get them out of here as fast as possible. And in doing 
fail to see the nuance in some of our decision making yeah. and fail to, I mean, what we thought was just, you know, um, students were feeling rushed. No, they were scared. Yeah. Some of them were scared because yeah. that had not been their norm, their reality. And um, we have to always remember that. What the level? Students we serve yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what leveled it off for me, I, I too started where Roderick was and went home and had a dream. And it was literally one person being woken up, being woken up by the student affairs and the health uh, director saying, we have a case on campus. Uh, dorms are like cruise ships, you know, and they are <clears throat> hot spots, excuse me, for, for communicable diseases. And I know just as you all have articulated, I don't have the capacity to manage uh, almost a flu. Um, so let alone uh, COVID-19, um, it was it was interesting. The tipping point was one student who said to me, I don't have any place to go. And me asking, what, what does that look like? When you say you don't have any place to go, it was, I don't, it, what she was really saying is, I don't have the money to go anywhere. So that emboldened me to tell my staff, ask more questions. Don't settle on, I don't have any place to go. And we were much like all of you and many other colleges, we did it all. Uh, bus tickets, train, uh, I drove folks to the airport. We, we did everything we needed to do. And we eventually got them off the campus. What was fascinating to me was how um, I was eviscerated by parents uh, because we stopped uh, at the end of February, I stopped all travel, um, all athletic programs, debate. I shut everything down. And parents went ham uh, because their babies were losing uh, their eligibility or what they thought they were losing. Now, they had all these questions and concerns, and the students were angry and upset. And I have to admit that I think my cabinet thought that I was being uh, extreme as well. Um, but as time progressed and we started, days uh, turned into, um, you know, more solidified thoughts. Um, and it was affirmed by outside agencies. Um, people got on board. And I echo um, what you two have done. My, our staff was just incredible. How people rallied around to get kids to where they needed to go, worked extra hours, uh, did everything that they needed to do to make sure that our number one priority was was taken care of um, makes me feel really good um, about the team that 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 we're leading. So we 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 know that we've gotten them off campus. Now we have to turn our attention to uh, how do we manage the online process and and do we work from home? How are you guys managing the process? You've quickly turned your focus from the students and while they are still our focus we still have a populace and Raj you noted this earlier that your populace on your campus is um, the the ones that are more likely to be vulnerable um, to uh, the disease or the virus now we've turned our attention from the students how are you managing the staff and the administrators what are you guys doing on your campuses so we have a modified work schedule, um, nine to four. 
Um, we have our campus police uh, closely monitoring the cabinet, uh, excuse me, campus, um, largely because when you make a public announcement that the campus is closed, uh, you leave yourself open to all manner of things. And so the police department is closely monitoring the perimeter, door checks, room checks, building checks every night. And so to access the campus now, you show your ID. So they have a list of the 31 essential employees who will move freely in and out of the campus. But beyond that, you must state your business to access the campus of Benedict College. Um, my team and I tend to convoy in and out every day. Uh, I'm sure the police kind of joke that. Uh, they see my truck first, and there's generally four or five cars behind me coming onto the campus during the day and leaving the campus every day. Um, <laughs> we tend to alternate mornings or afternoons. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, Tuesday, Thursday afternoon. We have meetings um, at 3 p.m. every other day just to um, keep everybody in close communication for those who are off the campus, for example, the registrar, um, can dial into Zoom or go to meetings um, so that we can see and engage in that way. And, you know, that is our new normal for right now is um, a close group of folks who are and still doing the business of college and keeping the machine moving, um, and then everyone else dialing in as necessary. Certainly our faculty are bearing the burden right now. Mm. Uh, the instructional technology team, the IT team, are all working pretty much around the clock to ensure a virtual environment for students that is conducive to their um, achievement of student learning outcomes. And that's our biggest focus right now. Same here, uh, Herman. We today, well, yes, today is the second day of our adjusted um, mode of operations, if you would. Um, we have gone to essential employees only, which, which include our security, our facilities uh, team, uh, the executive cabinet, and a few individuals within their respective units who they have declared or deemed as, as essential. Uh, we have implemented an at-home work policy, and so individuals who are not here on campus are um, are tied in remotely to do various tasks as assigned to them by, by the various executive cabinet members. We obviously are in a fully online uh, hybrid uh, remote learning structure. Uh, we've had a few hiccups there, but for the most part, uh, none, none that are uh, insurmountable. And um, so far, uh, we've not gotten a lot of complaints from our students, and so we're just kind of waiting to see, um, like Roz, our, our security is in a heightened uh, mode where we are limiting access to campus. Um, it, it is um, interesting to watch how individuals who are accustomed to coming to campus um, um, are being turned away and how they've called and wondered why they're being turned away and really don't understand that we are operating uh, similar to what the governor has declared for the entire state, which is come out only as you need to come out. Um, the um, um, uh, the part of the uh, change in this structure that has been more troublesome for me, and again, Herman, you and I talked about this the other day, is that as we move closer to a different position nationwide and what the federal government is currently considering with by way of a stimulus package, um, we are now looking long term uh, mm -hmm. at some additional impacts, you know, like, you know, uh, for example, those students who are uh, were on payment plans and we were depending on 
you know, that revenue to get us through the balance of this semester and even through the summer, well, we're going to be hard-pressed, I think, to realize some of those payments. And so how will that impact our budget in the short term and in the long term? And so we're now working on a different type of contingency plan that could possibly include, you know, um, some furloughing and some other things just uh, for the institution to be able to survive. Um, You know, we don't have a a large endowment to tap into to get us through this time. And so we are really, really, really tuition dependent and private gift dependent. Uh, And so that is where our focus has shifted now that we've gotten through this initial wave or hurdle of Mm-hmm. making the transition to a, a campus that's shut down. Good public administrators have excellent force, foresight, right? You you have to have it. You you manage the crises, and, and it's like having an ember burning over in the corner or just, just sparking. I see that, but right now I need to deal with this, this fire, this full-blown fire. What that ember is is what you just articulated, which is a great segue to – um, two things, how the how we manage with the gravity of our decisions and what is the new normal for for higher ed? Obviously, we know that there are some stimulus uh, packages that could very well be very close to being, um, you know, articulated and voted upon and, and acted upon uh, that will impact us and will have great um, benefit to us and for us. Um, but. But how do you manage the next step? And and Roderick just um, talked about it. Roz, what does uh, what what does the next step look like for you? I'm not I'm not asking you to talk about, you know, what your your intimate plans are for your institution. But what does higher ed look like coming out of this? What 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 impacts uh, will this have that are long term outside of getting students home and going online and doing uh, sure. the working process from 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 afar so we um you know we all use the um, terminology new normal uh i think truer words are probably never spoken i think some of this will very rapidly become normalized um benedict college will never be an online institution that is not our mission that's not who we are what we do cannot be done in a virtual environment um entirely Certainly, that is an enhancement. It's a supplemental form of instruction, um, but it will never consume us in the way that some online institutions will. However, I think what you will see now is because of the urgency that demanded faculty expand um, their imagination to think of, you know, open source materials and you know how to distribute education in online format. I think you'll start to see more hybrid education. Mm-hmm. Opportunities. I think you'll see multiple and diverse learning modalities implemented in our traditional classroom with mm-hmm. our students. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that genie is out of the bottle, yeah. um, and students' appetite for um, those kinds of enhancements um, has now been whetted. And again, our faculty have been pushed uh, very quickly to do that, and so I think going forward we'll see more of that. I think textbook publishers might want to be concerned uh, right now. <laughs> Um, I have long been advocating for open source materials for low wealth kids. Yes. Right. There's enough out there on the Internet of Things that students shouldn't have to buy a two hundred dollar textbook. That's right. Um, if faculty are creative and are willing to put in the work to enhance the syllabi, to include, you know, hot links to a myriad of resources, of mm-hmm. course being mindful of fair use mm-hmm. um, laws. You know, we're lawyers, we understand that. Yep. But I think 
you know, it's going to be hard for folks to sell me now mm-hmm. on traditional textbooks after what we've had to do yeah. in this interim. So I think that is something that is going to change in the future. I think the way we recruit students, um, you know, we spend a lot of money on stuff, right? Tenants and view books and giveaways and pencils and, you know, all sorts of things. And we you know, travel to every high school fair and at every HBCU expo and we're all over the country. But now we're being forced to reimagine the ways that we recruit mm-hmm. and how we engage students virtually. Um, our apps are actually up, right? But how do we work those? Yeah. And how do we um, close a student virtually when we used to have the benefit of looking them in the face and touring the campus? So developing virtual campus tours, um, FAQs, um, you know, go to meeting or Zoom or whatever mm-hmm. method you choose, bringing in groups of students to okay. have those kinds of conversations. Open house um, through Zoom. Know. Right. And so while, again, we will never stop going to the Bahamas for recruiting fairs, right, no, maybe, <laughs> um, but we will um, begin to think about how to supplement and close. And so when I see those travel requests, I'm going to ask some questions. Absolutely. Right. Is this something that can be done virtually? Because we also have to rethink the business model. Some of us will be recovering from this financially, depending on, you know, what Congress decides to do. Mm -hmm. Some of us are going to be struggling from the effects of this for some time. And so it begs us to always be uh, very creative in the way that we approach challenges and to do a lot with a little. So I think that some of the changes that this has forced us to make, Mm have also resulted in us, you know, really believing more deeply in our own creativity and realizing that we do not have to always be there, travel there, go there. We do not always have to buy the textbook. We do not always have to, you know, be looking me in the face in a classroom. Um, But there are lots of ways um, to achieve the same result if we are creative and committed. And so it'll be tough for people to sell me on certain things from this point forward, Spot having on. seen how this campus rose to the challenge. Spot on. I, I also think the boogeyman left as well, the boogeyman of technology. You know, most faculty mm-hmm. members did not, would not, shall not, uh, willeth not. They were just not going um, to deal with technology. And they've been forced to do that now. And we've also had small, distressed uh, assets been forced to look at uh, how do we adapt to these changing uh, times, which really left us in, and I wouldn't even say a, a quagmire. I'd say we had no choice but to adapt. And this pressure um, that um, produces diamonds uh, metaphorically and figuratively and literally, uh, that's, a, that's my cap alpha side plug. Um, when you're forged by the fire, um, great things happen. And I think when we look at our institutions, you are uh, in so many different ways, Roz, affirming a lot of the thoughts that I've had about looking at these requisitions when people are traveling all over the place, like there has to be a smarter way to do things. And this has shown us. So I think there really needs, after the fog settles, uh, and while we're going through the fog, there needs to be time for quarterbacking um, and being really critical of the decisions that we made, but also thinking about the positives that came out of this uh, bad situation. And I want to... Uh, you don't waste good, a good crisis? Never waste a good right. crisis. Every opportunity is an opportunity That's to right. rethink That's right. the way we do business. 
That's and right. so, um, you know, I am grieved that people are dying. Mm-hmm. I am afraid of my children becoming ill, right? Or my husband and I, um, and my family members, people I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we focus for a moment, um, there is always a blessing in the storm. There is always an opportunity to think and reevaluate. Um, you know, I'm home more with my children, yeah. right? I'm off the road yeah. for a minute. Um, and so it's giving me, it's given me time to be a president and I've never experienced that before. Mm. <laughs> I have always, I mean, from the moment and I, you know, I quote the moment, right? As of 642 on Wednesday, there were no students on the campus of Benedict College. And while a college campus is not a college campus without its babies or without its students, um, it has given me some time to breathe and to think strategically and to figure out where Benedict goes from here. Mm-hmm. And that is a luxury that I've never had in my eight years as an HBCU president. <laughs> I have never had quiet time uninterrupted in my office to write to think, to plan, to inquire. It's always been, you know, doing airplane maintenance while the plane is in the air. Well, the plane has been grounded. Mm -hmm. The plane has been grounded. And now I have a chance to confer with the flight crew. I have a chance to communicate with the control tower, right? My board is the control tower. My flight crew is my cabinet. I have an opportunity now to exchange intel and to think about that flight pattern. (laughs) <laughs> think about that flight pattern, right? What's our next destination? Um, is that where we should be going? And is there a more efficient way to fly this plane? And so I'm going to I'm gonna take that. Yeah. I'm going to trust God that he has given me an opportunity to think differently, to lead differently, to move differently, and I'm going to embrace that. And I'm going to pray for the health and well-being of our country, our world, but I'm going to take advantage of this time to do the best I can for my institution so that when we're back, when we're reopened and babies are back on the campus, um, it looks and feels like a new institution. Mm. Roz, I was, we were moving to, you know, cutting across the field and closing and, and leaving with our, our, our parting thoughts. Roz has done that, and I'm going to give her a chance to come back for that rebuttal. After um, I, I hit you with, uh, with uh, the question, um, first I want to say to you, know that you are not alone in knowing that uh, this impact will have wide-ranging impact and ramifications for our our college family. And that is something that I know it hurts me to even think about furloughs and temporary layoffs, et cetera. But the the consolation is that it is uh, prudent. Um, It is what we were called to do. It is, um, they are decisions that must be made um, and you are not alone. It's happening all over America, um, all over the world. So be steadfast, brother, and know that um, you're not alone. And because you make those decisions, that not does not take away um, the empathy and the compassion that you have for those who who, who toil uh, in the vineyard with you. Parting shots, man. What do you what, what do you want to leave us with? Are you talking to me, man? Yes, sir. <laughs> So look, I'm still sitting here just listening to Roz. Where I told you, I, so I, uh, preach, I don't even know you? why I agreed. I don't even know why I agreed to do this with Roz. I really just like to sit and listen to Roz because she's always, you know, uh, giving out such powerful nuggets of, of wisdom and advice. And so, Mr. President, I just appreciate you. Um, I obviously we know the the stories behind the scenes 
uh, for all of us, right? Because we're all friends and we, we know that we've been through a lot individually and we've been through a lot together. And so I think it's times like these uh, where we can come together and have a celebration, I mean, a conversation that ultimately leads to a celebration of how we made it over, right? It's, it's, um, I'm often reminded uh, uh, in a biblical sense that in so many uh, uh, times throughout the Bible, we're reminded that, you know, there is no testimony without a test. And so, you know, our testimonies today, the one that Raj just gave, the ones that we will give in the future, I think will all be based on how we uh, get through, endure uh, the tests that are before us. Um, I guess if I had to look down the line, uh, Herman, I'm looking at, you know, what the White House initiative on HBCU uh, meeting will look like in September or October after we've got through this. I imagine that there will be some opportunities for us to do exactly what we're doing right now. And that is there will perhaps be a conversation where several of us will be chosen to talk about how we led through these very difficult times. And I think that we will all have those testimonies uh, of how we got through this test. But at the end of the day, I think we are stronger together. And I think that in as much as we can continue to support and encourage each other um, through this, I think we're better forward. As I look at um, Philander Smith College, um, and where we go from here, I echo the sentiments of what uh, Roz has, uh, has just said. It is, it is in some ways forcing us to do what we, we would not oftentimes do as presidents because we simply could not find the time. Um, it is allowing us to do those things, like Roz just mentioned, of just being able to sit at our desk and think and uh, meditate around what a forward movement, what a forward plan really looks like instead of having to always be in a position of, of, of building the boat while it's flowing down the river. Um, and so I appreciate that time as well. And I think God has, has given us this time, but I think also that God has paused us for a reason. Um, I think that there are some things going on in our environment, in our world, uh, that God is not pleased with. And I think that when uh, we are in doubt about who is in control, um, as we look at our political process that's about to unfold with the election of a, of, of a new president or maintaining an existing president, as we look at uh, the, the census count that's going on in America, all these things going on and, and people, Americans, are wondering, you know, we are... In, a, in, an un, in an unsettled position as a nation, uh, as a country. But then God steps in and with a virus shows us that he absolutely is still in control. And even when we won't sit down, he can use something like this to make us sit down and force us to realize the power of our togetherness and the power of what we can do by supporting each other. I just am, I'm praising God for the moment. Um, and while there will be some casualties as a result of this, I'm praising God for those too as well, because I know that this is all a result of his perfect will unfolding. And so uh, I'm just hoping, Brother Felton, that you will continue to allow us to have these types of dialogues. Um, I'm hoping that we will continue to be open and share uh, our successes and, and our failures. Roz mentioned that word earlier. She talked about I failed to, we failed to, 
it is rare that we can say in an open setting as college presidents that we failed to do something because we are always seen as the individuals who have to have the right answers at all the right times and on all the right places. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, we, we, we don't, and we didn't, and we still don't Mm -hmm. because we're still uncertain as to what will unfold as a result of this, this global pandemic. Uh, And so I think this gives us so many uh, ways to realize at the end of the day that we are just human, that we were placed here by God and that he is in control. Yes, sir. Uh, and, and that at the end of the day, when we yield to that, then I think that he will step in and do what the Bible says. Is if we would humble ourselves and pray mm. and seek God's face, that he will seek ultimately step in and he will heal this land. Yes, sir. He will heal our institutions. He will make a way. And I'm just I'm excited about that. I'm about to get up and start tapping on my desk. You can uh, because I know we serve a God <laughs> who can do all of those things and so much more. Uh, and so that's what I leave you with today. Uh, I I am um, sitting at my desk right now, preparing to have a cabinet meeting in a couple of hours, and I'm going to use this conversation as my opening remarks today. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, we are just human. Uh, we are leaders who have been chosen by God to lead at this particular time. And and I believe that what we share, our testimonies, uh, our experiences, are preparing the way for the next group of leaders. Yes, and sir. Herman, that is the work and the ministry that you ha- in which you have on which you have embarked through health and preparing the next generation of leaders for our institutions. And so I'm hoping that what we have shared here today will serve as inspiration in some way for the next generation of leaders who will probably have to deal with circumstances far worse than the ones that we're dealing with today, but at least they will be able to pull some inspiration from the things we said here today. Yeah. Well said, well said. Um, Roz, do you have anything else you want to add, my sister? Is that a joke? (laughs) Amen. I can't sing, so I can't sing the closing hymn. And he's already given us a ticket, so I'm going to say amen. And we're going to virtually touch and agree. There you it's go. It's going to be all will be well with H. Praise God. Praise God. I, I, um, I'm, I'm grateful for you both, uh, for your friendship, more importantly. Um, I do uh, believe that we are uh, capable and able to say uh, that we don't know and that we were wrong and that – Uh, We need help because we're different types of leaders Um, and uh, we're comfortable. I'm going to be the president tomorrow, even if I stand up before you and say, I don't know the answer to that. And that that gives you a resolve as a leader um, that most don't have. And so I recognize that in in both of you and many of our colleagues. Uh, I'm just grateful to have uh, people who can tell me you're you're absolutely wrong in that thought, as uh, Rosalind uh, does in such a wonderful way. She's really cool about it. And uh, the way you do it, Rod, is um, like, nah, bro, you don't want to do it that way. I'm grateful to have checks and balances. Uh, And I echo the sentiments that you both do. While you haven't said it, um, you know, poignantly, What you articulated was the need in your toolbox uh, to make sure that if you're leading institutions uh, that you have faith and uh, faith carries us. We joke a lot, but we oftentimes have sermonettes uh, that allow us to get uh, to where we need to be. So I'm grateful for 
uh, watching you all lead through this crisis. Uh, but I'm more excited about the fact that you all know that this is something that God is managing and is in control. And while we're doing the practical, he's managing the impractical. And uh, I'm grateful to lead in this vineyard with you both. Um, I thank you. I want to say that Roderick Smothers is running for what's the line in secession for Alpha Phi Alpha, brother? <laughs> I am running for 36th general president of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And I believe I could say if we were uh, voting members, Roz, that we would vote for Roderick. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Overwhelmingly, unanimously, and any Alpha worth its Alpha salt and sand would vote for Roderick's mother. Yes, indeed. Get on the Alpha train, the Alpha movement, all that good stuff. <laughs> Give this well, brother your that. money, your time, brother and all your sister, I do. Yes, sir. <laughs> And uh, as always, it's a pleasure uh, being on the microphone with my sister of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. Yes, sir. And um, and, and Herman, I, I just want to I want to say to you, brother, I um, uh, appreciate you and the role that you play with our group of presidents as um, being a, a strong voice for us all being a convener for us, uh, and, and more importantly, uh, Herman, uh, being um, a champion for our HBCUs and for their future. Uh, the work you're doing with health, uh, the work you're even doing with this podcast and putting this out there in, in this meaningful way means make will make all the difference in the world. And so, I just want to celebrate and, and reaffirm you and your work and your ministry, my brother. You're doing a powerful thing over there at Wiley. You're doing a powerful thing with this uh, health organization. And I just want to say, just keep it up. And I keep you all in my prayer. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks. Thank you. Well, if, uh, if all hearts and minds are clear, we want to thank our guests for coming on today. Um, really appreciate you. Join us at uh, www.heleaders.org uh, to check out the podcast. I'm sure that my guest today will be back. I don't know. Maybe we might even have us a regular show. I don't know. I might be able to convince them to do something like that. But uh, until the next time, we pray that God keeps you in the very palm of his hands and uh, pray that you remain a zealot.